Welcome to the podcast from the International Franchise Association, Franchise Voice. I'm your host, Jack Munson. Back on IFA's Franchise Voice with President and CEO of the International Franchise Association, it's Matt Haller. Hey, Matt, how are you? Hey, Jack. Doing great. How are you? I'm terrific. You have been a busy guy, being very involved in some uh, some pretty big stuff going on. Let's talk about the situation in California signed into law just a couple of weeks ago by Gavin Newsom. It was AB 1228 that you say is preserving franchising. Tell me more about that law and how did this all come about? Yeah, so the FAST Act has been with us for two years as a, as a proposal um, for those that may have forgotten just a little history lesson here. We, we ultimately referred uh, the FAST Act, um, this creation of a sector-wide council to set wages and working conditions in the quick service restaurant industry to the voters, uh, secured a million signatures, and that uh, law was going to be put to the voters in 2024, so on the presidential election ballot. Um, subsequent to that, uh, the California legislature um, took a component of the original FAST Act bill, um, the joint employer liability uh, provision, uh, and the the state of California was moving that through the legislative process uh, in California. Uh, separately from that, there was uh, the California legislature uh, in their budget that Governor Newsom signed this year created what's called the Industrial Welfare Commission. And this commission uh, really was empowered and then funded to do the same things that the then referred council um, had authority to do. So it was kind of a backdoor way for the labor unions to get what they wanted. Um, and because it was done in a budget deal, there was nothing really that we could have done to lobby against it or to refer it to the voters or even to challenge it uh, in court. So uh, facing all of these policy headwinds and knowing even the challenges of the state of California's uh, political system in 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 uh, on the ballot next year, you know, we decided to enter into a legislative negotiation with, uh, led by Governor Newsom's office and with uh, the SEIU, who's been pushing these uh, these issues. Um, and we had some pretty hard red lines. Um, you know, number one being. Uh, you know, we need franchising to continue to be able to be a business model that's viable in California. And that is really not something that would be the case if the joint employer liability provision were to become law. Um, you know, we've been dealing with this in different forms over the last uh, decade uh, at the IFA. And we all know, you know, the, the problem um, for the franchise model, if a franchisor ultimately is responsible for the labor and employment um, of its franchisees, there's no value proposition to franchising. So when I say in our statement, now that this legislative agreement has been reached that eliminates the joint employer threat that franchising is preserved, you know, that's that's what I mean. Um, so the, the joint employer issue was fully taken off the table. The Industrial Welfare Commission, uh, that was fully taken off the table. Uh, and the, uh, the more onerous version of the council um, that we had referred to the voters uh, that was taken off the table. Um, in its place, um, as part of the legislative agreement, um, is a prescribed um, wage increase for uh, workers in the quick service restaurant industry for uh, franchises with more than 60 locations nationwide. 
Um, and that is a starting wage now of $20 an hour. Um, that may seem very high to some, um, and it is high. Um, it's a, it's a meaningful increase, uh, but also the state, uh, average minimum wage, uh, in the, um, quick service restaurant industry for franchises, um, is over $17 an hour today. Um, also the, um, Statewide minimum wage for everybody um, will go to $18 an hour starting in 2025. So when you look at it um, based upon fact, and you know a lot of people are, are waking up to this over the last couple of weeks, um, and you know saying, "Oh my God, what the hell is happening?" Um, you know the reality is, yes, it's going to have some costs, and those costs are going to be borne, you know, primarily by franchisees. Um, but it's also eliminated some of the existential threats, um, really all of the ex- existential threats that existed for our members in California. I didn't realize that about the um, average being eighteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty five for all businesses. That's so we so we're giving up two dollars an hour, but saving franchising. That sounds like you guys got a pretty good deal, in my opinion. Yeah, thanks. And you know, again, it's a difficult political environment. The unions control a significant amount of uh, of the legislature and are very close uh, with the governor. I, I think if you look at it based upon what could have been um, and what now is and what is clear. You know, this this is a definitely a positive for the franchise model. Um, and even though there will be some impact on um, franchisees and profitability, you know, I think we've proven, you know, over the last several years that, you know, franchisors and franchisees will work together um, to mitigate some of these uh, these cost pressures. They're working together and you're working together with the National Restaurant Association and negotiating this with the SEIU. That's uh, that's actually something uh, quite impressive. It feels sort of like, as the great communicator would say, you ask for a loaf, but you take half a loaf. Like any compromise, um, yeah. you know, neither side's walking away getting everything that they wanted. Um, I think, again, when you look at uh, you know, the po- difficult political environment in California, I think we we fared you know pretty well here, um, given you know what we were facing um, as an as an alternative. And look, I think this is not Pollyanna. Like SEIU and IFA, you know, we're going to continue to fight issues you know at the federal level, probably in other states. Um, so this is not the end of the you know franchise labor wars that are that are going on here. They want to continue to change the business model to make it easier to organize um, under the auspice of trying to help workers. And you know we've got a business model to protect and we've you know prevailed on that point in California and we'll continue to do our damnedest to make sure that happens everywhere else. And where is everywhere else? Where do we take this fight next? Well we're not taking it anywhere this is one where we you know are you know playing a little bit more defense, which I don't love to always, you know, be playing defense, but again, yeah. we're pretty content with the status quo and we think the status quo works. Um, but the, the SEIU has uh, introduced or is looking at other places like uh, New York, Minneapolis, um, Montgomery County, Maryland, we actually saw a similar proposal um, recently introduced. So that's on the state and local front. Um, and then obviously, you know, at, at the federal level with the National Labor Relations Board, uh, still waiting on uh, the joint employer rule. Uh, to be finalized there, uh, but we think October, now that the government is funded, uh, will be the month that that, uh, that that happens. So we're looking at October for that. Any any feeling on which way that's going to go, or what can we do in the meantime to help it go our way? Yeah, I mean, we fully know where it's going to go. Um, it's just a matter of how far it goes. So the proposed rule uh, really would have returned to a, a standard of joint employment where a, a franchisor and a franchisee uh, would be joint employers based upon uh, indirect potential um, control over terms and conditions of employment. That sounds, 
you know, really sort of um, esoteric, um, but it's almost, you could find a joint employer relationship almost anywhere um, under uh, that scenario that a, that a uh, plaintiff wanted to, wanted to find one. And so, you know, we think this is going to be hugely disruptive. So what do we do about it? Um, you know, we had 300 people at our advocacy summit on Capitol Hill uh, lobbying bipartisan members of Congress to challenge the rule, which through what's known as the Congressional Review Act. And, you know, we feel confident that a bipartisan majority uh, will send a Congressional Review Act challenge to President Biden, uh, which would overturn uh, the rule and not enable the agency to pass a substantially similar rule um, in its place. Now, is President Biden going to sign that? You know, he's said he wants to be the most pro-union president in history, and he's probably done a pretty good job so far in uh, achieving that goal. He was just uh, on the picket line with the UAW workers uh, just uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, I'm not optimistic, but that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, you, you know, go through the process because the other thing the Congressional Review Act, especially one that's bipartisan, can help with is it can support a, a litigation challenge to uh, a, a rule like this. So that's another uh, opportunity for the IFA uh, to, to, to bring a, a challenge against this. And that's something that we are um, highly likely to do with other partners in the business community. You mentioned the advocacy summit, which was two or three weeks ago in D.C. Any takeaways, any any parting thoughts from that great event? I think it just shows the importance of telling, you know, personal stories because, you know, we already have over 30 members of Congress from both parties that have signed our letter to the Federal Trade Commission. Um, I mentioned we've got bipartisan commitments uh, to support the Congressional Review Act challenge uh, on the joint employer rule. And, you know, we just consistently hear every year, especially from first timers who come to that event, you know, actually how easy we make it um, to, you know, set them up for success, you know, scheduling the meetings, you know, it can be intimidating to go to Capitol Hill for the first time and, you know, sit in a lawmaker's office and, you know, get your 15 minutes divided by, you know, five or six people that might be in that meeting. But when you, when you, when you demystify it, um, like we've been able to do um, with some of the training that we do at the hotel, uh, and we, you know, we say, look, you're there to just tell your story and make sure you walk out of that meeting saying, here's my story. And here are why these one or two asks, um, help us, you know, continue to preserve, um, what we've created. Um, you know, it's, it's just really rewarding that we see then the fruits of that labor come to fruition with some of the members of Congress signing these letters. So, you know, like anything else, you know, a lot of your listeners are probably in sales, follow up, follow up, follow up, you know, that's, that's our job and your job. And, you know, as Kevin Hearn said to our attendees, he's a former McDonald's franchisee, now member of Congress. It's like, you got to think about my day. My day is like 15 hours broken into 15 minute, minute increments. Um, and each one of those 15 minute increments is a different interest group, you know, coming to ask me for a different thing, a different favor. So, you know, why is your thing more compelling than the person that was in here before you or after you? And that goes back to the power of the personal relationship and the story. Very good. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we will keep the conversation going. We will see you soon in Atlanta at the FLDC in just a week or so. Great. I look forward to seeing everybody there. And now on Franchise Voice, we're joined by Tara Richards, she's the Director of Sales for Retirement at Paychex. Tara, thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having me. 
I know a lot of our listeners are very familiar with paychecks. We we see the paychecks team at a lot of IFA events and other places in franchising. I really wanted to find out about 401ks today and why should a franchise consider a 401k? Okay, so we know a lot of franchises face several challenges from hiring and retention to operational efficiency and to margin compression and multi-state compliance concerns. So 401ks can really help with attracting and retaining great talent, individual and business tax savings, helping employees and owners save for tomorrow, and it allows you to gain benefits from uh, the new laws passed like the Secure Act 2.0, and really to avoid fines that may be imposed if you miss deadlines for state retirement mandates enacted into laws. You mentioned attracting and retaining employees. Do you hear often of employees, including the part-time employees, showing a real interest in having a 401k? Yeah, absolutely we do. Employee studies show that a vast majority of employees, um, 91% in fact, consider retirement a highly desirable benefit. 94% say it's second only to health insurance. And 76% of employees say it's important that employers support their financial health. There's also another factor consider, to consider. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, Americans are living longer. If employees haven't saved enough, it's possible that they could outlive their retirement funds. So what happens in the U.S. if that happens? Um, employees can be Employers can be competitive by offering a full-scale retirement plan like 401k as well. So employees are interested. Now let's talk about the employers. How can having a 401k help business owners from a business expense perspective? Okay. So it's really about the tax savings. A new law, which is Secure Act or Secure Act 2.0, increased small business retirement plan tax incentives. So a new 401k plan can be virtually free for three years for eligible businesses. Also, for businesses who choose to match a portion of their employees' contributions or provide a profit-sharing contribution, there is a new tax credit that's up to $1,000 per employee per year that's available over five years. And in many cases, the personal tax savings from the 401k for owners exceeds the administration cost of the plan or the cost of the match. It's more it's a more efficient tax way or way of um, to pay employees through taxes because matching and profit sharing are considered other compensation. So what that really means is that it's free of payroll taxes and workers' compensation, and that does vary a little bit by state. And then you can also be eligible to deduct 401k administration expenses and contributions on business taxes. You mentioned Secure 2.0. There's been a lot of buzz in the media about this new law. What other benefits does it bring? So outside of all the great tax benefits, I think a couple of provisions they will be of interest to this audience in particular would be the ability of part-time employees to participate in a 401k, employer's 401k plan. Right now, part-time employees who work at least 500 hours over three consecutive years may participate in an employee's retirement plan. So with the SECURE Act 2.0, made this even better and it reduced three years to two years, and that's going to start in 2025. There's also a new provision that may allow employees to receive available matching contributions when they repay their student loans. And that is supposed to start in 2024. That's really interesting. Are there any other new laws that this audience should be aware of? Yes. So I think it's important to understand the reason that the SECURE Act and state mandates exist is because we are in a retirement crisis. 
Millions of Americans have no retirement savings and many don't have access to retirement plans through their employer. So many Americans expect their funds to come from Social Security. However, according to Social Security Administration, these funds are going to be depleted into their by 2034. And for that reason, many states have enacted or proposed legislation for state retirement savings programs to help alleviate that retirement crisis that we're experiencing in the U.S. Many of these programs are mandatory and have deadlines that employers must meet. So um, they are at risk of possibly being charged fines. Some fines are charged per employee and it can become really, really expensive very quickly. And I'll give you an example of that. In California, fines start at 250 per employee and can go up all the way to 500 per employee. Wow, that's a lot of new retirement mandates. How do we keep track of all of that? You know, it can be complicated, especially for this audience who may have employees in multiple states. The programs are typically structured in a way, and this is really important, that the state the employee reports their SUI income in that requires participation. So not the state the business is headquartered in, but the state where they report their SUI income. Mm. So um, there are websites that can help you keep up to date. We have one that you can use at paychecks.com. But if you have employees in multiple states, you could be left to manage multiple state programs if you're going that route. So given that compliance is already a burden for this group, a 401k plan may be the best solution. All state programs consider 401k a qualified option that satisfies the state mandates. So you can have just one plan, which means less hassle. Once a company implements a 401k plan, all they have to do is register with the relevant states to comply. And it really is that simple. So does a 401k have any advantages over those state retirement programs? And also what types of 401k plans might be a good fit for the people in our audience? Um, definitely. A 401k plan can offer advantages over the state programs, and I'll give you a couple of these. So most state programs are Roth IRA or post-tax. The benefits of a 401k over state mandated plans are um, such things as 401ks have higher contribution limits than state facilitated programs. Contributions in a 401k can be both pre-tax or Roth. 401k allows employers to make profit sharing or matching contributions at their discretion. You can't do that on a state plan. 401ks offer eligible employees potential tax credits. And um, who doesn't like a tax credit? <laughs> state plans do not get these tax credits. In addition, in a state plan, the employer is typically responsible for a large amount of the administrative work and remitting employee contributions. Using a 401k plan with paychecks allows you to reduce your administrative burden. Okay, so, and I don't know about you, but I like a solution that makes my life easier and not yes. harder. <laughs> <laughs> Paychecks can definitely offer that. And let's be honest, when looking at a great, like great employee talent, you want to attract the best people. Those candidates are usually not asking you, do you have the state mandated plan? They're usually asking you, do you have a 401k? Mm -hmm. In regards to plan, we offer a traditional 401k and there's a newer type plan called the pulled employer plan, which Paychecks is a leader in, also known as a PEP. So PEPs potentially reduce administrative fees due to economies of scale. It reduce, reduces fiduciary liability. There's a simplified plan management, and it reduces administrative tax task. And that's just really to name a few. 
the great thing is we have a dedicated 401k, dedicated 401k consultants for the IFA who can help review all the options and set up plans that best meet your needs. Tara Richards from Paychex, thank you so much for sharing this information about 401ks for franchises today. And we hope to chat with you again real soon down the road. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And thanks to you for listening to Franchise Voice from the International Franchise Association. For more information, go to franchise.org.